Hello, how are you guys today? I'm Dr. Candace. Welcome to Kidding Around and thank you so much for listening. I have a very special guest today, today, Dr. David Levine. He is my friend, colleague, mentor, so many things. I can go on and on and on. And he is going to help us. Actually, I, I feel that he is the medical expert in the realm of pediatrics on this topic. He actually authored and led uh, an American Academy policy statement on this topic. And I know I'm being a little mysterious. I'll let you know what it is in a second. Um, so we're going to discuss our topic today from a different standpoint. It's one that can spark some emotions and has some controversy around it, but we're not going to talk about if it's right or wrong. I'm all about the education. I wanna educate, not debate, okay? And so our topic is LGBTQ. And we're gonna go into what the definition of that is and all the other important elements as it relates to your health and well-being for children, adolescents, and young adults. That's where we're going with this. Because I hear a lot of conversations and they're not based in fact. And it's lot, we wanna get the information and the education and the facts out there so that we can begin to have a common ground. Would you agree with that, Dr. Levine? That sounds like a great plan. Absolutely. So Dr. Levine is the professor of pediatrics and the chief division um, uh, and the chief in the division of pre-doctoral education at the Morehouse School of Medicine. Woohoo! <laughs> awesome. And like I said, he works um, so dedicated to advocating for children in all efforts, and this is one that's been special to his heart. So that's what we're, that's where we're going today. So can we start off by defining LGBTQ? Yep. Um, and we could even add a few more initials to it. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so the technical definition: lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning was really the original cue, but a lot of the members of the LGBT um, community have come up with new ways to identify and and um, to describe themselves more than anything. So an old term that was used to be very, very derogatory towards gay people was queer. Well, um, there are some folks in the gay community that have taken that word incorporated it into their own identity to de-energize the negative for it. And there's a category of young people um, that consider themselves gender queer. And the term gender queer really means just don't put me in a gender box. I am happy with the body that I was given, but I'm not entirely in sync with what the gender definition would be. So you may have some women that just don't want to ever put themselves in a dress or a skirt. Mm -hmm. Um, They may be attracted to other women, they may not be attracted to other women, but the the term gender queer becomes very, very comfortable for the individual. And that's the point. If we're trying to meet our patients and our clients where they are, We should allow our patients to identify themselves in whatever way that they're most comfortable. We just have to do that translation in our head. What does that mean? Um, And other people have added other 
uh, letters to that acronym. Um, I for intersex. Now, folks that um, are born actually with genitals that are not entirely male or entirely female, we tend to call them disorders of sexual differentiation, long term, sorry about that. <laughs> um, and, but at the same time, it's a nice way of being able to realize these are folks that have their own special um, gender needs and sexuality needs. Some people have also added A for allies and a second A for those people that choose to be asexual. Okay. It's very interesting. We have um, probably the, the world's greatest role model is a fictional character, Sheldon Cooper mm. from the Big Bang Theory. Um, okay. theory. He just is very averse to the idea of sex. Mm -hmm. And does that mean that he has a dysfunction or is he just being who he is? Mm -hmm. And that's the point. And why this huge acronym? Because, of course, you see there are some very divergent populations in there. Transgender folks, for example, could right. be gay. They could be straight. They could bi be bisexual. They can be asexual. Right. So... But the point is, these are folks that are considered gender or sexuality minorities. Yes, and by grouping folks together, it provides a better political climate for advocacy, for programming, for fundraising, and for developing the important services that are necessary so adolescents and young adults can emerge unscathed and be productive and healthy adults regardless of their gender or sexual orientation. All right, I got it. So let's help with some of those terms. So what would be the technical definition of lesbian? So lesbian is, are women that say they are attracted to other women. Okay. And the point is that when we talk about orientation, we're really talking about how people feel inside yes. about who they're attracted to. Okay. But remember that sexual orientation does not always equal sexual behavior. Right. People are very complicated. That should, that should be an assumption that people yes. just do what people do. Yes. It's and not it's not necessarily about predictable. Right. It's not always so about we it. certainly know there is a large group of men that identify as straight but may also be in having sex with the same gender from time to time. Um, they just don't identify as bisexual, they identify as straight. I mean, there was even this, this term that still is somewhat used in um, especially the African-American community related to this issue, being on the DL, being on the down low. Um, and, you know, that, that's a, a difficult population for us because, of course, one of the ideas about why is it important to talk with our young people and to find and meet young people where they're at is because we know there are um, issues and health disparities that are likely caused by the pervasive prejudice that people feel from being different. And that's what can lead to dysfunction. Uh, so what we try to do is to find these kids, support these kids, tell these young people that they're normal and they're just working through adolescence like everybody else has to work through. Absolutely. And that's what the point of all of this is about. Absolutely. 
And so again, just to be clear, so when we hear these conversations, people are speaking in a correct way. Gay would be? Gay would be men attracted to men. Okay, and bisexual? Bisexual is um, people that are attracted um, to both genders. Okay. It really is not, there's some aspects even of the gay community that said, oh, those are people that are just lying or they're confused. No, there are people that are attracted to both genders. And it's not just sexual behavior, it is true attraction. And that's fine. Now, interestingly, we may add another letter or may replace the B with a P. And that is the term pansexual. Pansexual is a growing um, term within the community. And what it really means is, why do you even care? Don't put me in a gender box. Don't put me in, why do I need to be counted that I'm having sex with men or women or both or neither? Mm -hmm. I am a sexual being. I'm attracted to people regardless of gender or orientation. And it's kind of a revolutionary concept. So you may hear that term in the community as well. And of course, T. Evolving yes. all the time, absolutely. absolutely. And transgender, because this is the this yeah. is the one where I think people get really confused, and there's a lot of misinformation. Transgender. Right. right. So transgender is an umbrella term for people that are born with a gender that just does not match what's in their brain. So there, if it's a male transitioning to female transgender, they're born with male organs. But even as early as three or four years of age for some children, they know something's wrong because they feel like the opposite gender inside, but their body doesn't match it. So that's an umbrella term. Now, there are things to talk about to, number one, take out of the equation. One is this idea of transvestite or transvestism, which really is, I just get Um, some sexual thrill out of dressing like the opposite gender. So there are some transvestites, for example, that feel very, very comfortable to get through their day wearing women's panties if if it's a transvestite male. That has nothing to do with gender identity, has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It really is considered a fetish in terms of... Now, you also may hear the term transsexual. And when people talk about transsexual, it's really people that have um, at least almost, if not finally, achieved the transition to the opposite gender. So if it is a female to male, they've had hormonal therapy. They certainly have had psychosocial therapy. And they may then have gone on to have a double breast removal along with some reconstruction of the female genitals to somewhat approximate a small male penis, uh, changing the structure of the women's um, genital anatomy using, in that case, surgery. Um, And so those are folks that, in general, are hidden in our society. Why? 
because they look like the gender that they've adopted. And you just don't see any issues related to that. Got it. It's not so obvious anymore. Right. (laughs) Awesome. So moving forward to our next question. In the American Academy of Pediatric Statement that you um, head, I guess, and, and authored, you say that youth who identify as LGBTQ are normal people but just different. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I like to think of the fact that everybody's different. Yes. When you think about it, there are some people with red hair. It's maybe the only physical trait that we don't discriminate against. But it's our society that likes to be in the majority. And so when you're in the minority, you are different. That doesn't mean that these kids are not normal. They're absolutely normal. But do they have different sexuality needs? Absolutely. They need to know about intimacy and relationships, just like men that are attracted to women, etc. But we also need to talk to them specifically about the increased risks um, that can happen in terms of having male-to-male sex because of, unfortunately, the high rates of HIV that are happening, especially among youth that are actually kicked out um, or thrown away because um, they come out to their parents as being lesbian or gay or transgender and they find themselves on the street. Right. Right. And again, that's what we want to avoid. We're discussing it for those reasons today. So absolutely. We want to get that out of people's heads. And I know just this conversation today is not going to do it, (laughs) but normal, normal, just like if you had a different hair color, you have different ideas, you have, you know, that's just fine. Um, But different in that aspect of sexual identity. So now let's go back to childhood because we're pediatricians. We're pediatricians after all. Mm-hmm. And obviously this uh, topic expands throughout life. But let's go back to childhood. Sure. You, you hit it briefly. Um, we definitely have children, three, four, five, who are starting to question their assigned gender role or gender. Okay. How do children form gender identity? And dis- and also in that, I know you will discuss that, that term or that understanding of gender role confusion. And one thing within that is that there's a myth, I think it's a myth in the community, that it always happens after a trauma or something had to happen to that child that made them that way. True, that may be that may be for a particular person because we do hear people talk about this is what happened to me and since then this is how I struggle with the issue. But that's I would say that's not the majority of children. So can you explain that process of forming sure. gender identity? Sure. And, and and you know to address that those adults that think there was trauma, it was likely that if they didn't experience the trauma their feelings and their orientation would have emerged in other ways. So perhaps the trauma brought out um, things that the person wouldn't have been ready to go to yet. But trauma has not been shown to actually influence sexual orientation or gender identity. And we really need to keep those two things different. 
Sexual orientation is a very abstract concept, and most young people can't really verbalize their sexual orientation until after they start through puberty. So then we're talking about at earliest maybe 11 or 12. But gender identity is a very concrete, not abstract thought. Um, where children, as young as age three, when we do developmental surveillance in the office, when we're asking about their specific skills that they should be developing as they get older, at age three, one of the scripted questions is, does your child know if um, she's a girl or if he's a boy? And why is that? Because gender identity is something that is inherent, it is pervasive, it is insistent, it is persistent, um, and that doesn't go away. Now we do need to distinguish. There is a, there are a, a larger number of young people that feel the gender discomfort than there are that actually want to go through transition therapy. There are a lot of people that are aware that they don't necessarily fit the body that they're in, but when they think about, do I want to undergo hormonal therapy? Do I want to undergo surgery? Do I want to do this stuff? Or am I actually learning to live with the, with the organs that I was born with, and I'm actually okay with it? Just don't make me have a traditional woman's role or a traditional man's role because I'm not going to go into those specific roles. It just doesn't work for me. And we should allow that. I mean, so we know there are a lot of young people that feel this, this issue that the gender just isn't right, but they resolve the issues well before it's time to think about any kind of treatment. So the take-home point is that gender identity starts very young, well before we probably realize it. And it is something totally different than your sexual orientation or your sexual identity. Correct. Um, and children can have a period of confusion there. That, like you said, at some point, maybe around puberty, they're able to work through and figure out. Yep. Awesome. So we definitely need to, as parents, as pediatricians, as uh, providers, be aware of that and be able to help them facilitate um, those open discussions. Absolutely. And, and for the younger kids, the most important thing is to allow them to live as the gender that they feel inside. It's actually um, when, when children um, tell their parents about how they feel and the parents are actually open and receptive to actually hear what the young person has, it's nice because then we have a extended period of time for the young person to explore gender roles and um, because the first therapy that we would ever think about doing would be when they start through puberty. So the minute they have the first pubic hair then we might actually start treatment with hormone blockers that prevent the development of the birth gender 
um, through puberty. Wow. So with males, we know we Wow, you're starting something now. And how are they gonna pay for it? And I know this is evolving, this is the future, because I bet insurance is not paying for that, and I don't know how you're gonna take care of that, but that ideally is something in the future that would be an option for a very, I guess, progressive family to pick up on that and say, is this something you want to do and, and, and see that as an option? Right, absolutely. Now the reality is, because of our societal feelings and about some of the young people that are transgender just feel like, I can't talk to my parents, I can't talk to my friends, I'm just gonna hold this inside. When we actually look at the average age that young people present to transition, transgender transition clinics, it's actually after age 16 in general. So we've lost that opportunity for the hormone blocker. So it's not a battle that we wage that often because of course we don't have parents that are that engaged that often. Um, so yeah, do we have to uh, wage those battles? Absolutely. Um, are there actually legal advocates in a lot of communities that would force insurance companies to actually provide the care that is necessary? Yes. Um, so I actually have a transgender client right now that actually has um, some attorneys from a national organization with local chapters of volunteer lawyers that help with anything related to LGBT issues. Um, and it's called Lambda Legal. Um, and so she's actually, my client is being assisted by these attorneys um, to find the best services and to actually make sure that their Medicaid health plan pays for the therapy uh, because it's standardized therapy. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So that's good to know that that's you know, resources out there. So yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to share a story with you briefly, and you kind of hit on it, um, but I like to give step by step, uh, you know, be very simple. Um, I had a mom recently, about a month ago, and she had, I think, a, fits perfectly into the age that we just discussed. I think it's about four-year-old little boy. She has four other boys, all the way up into the teenage years. And outside of doing his measurements, his vaccines, talking about his uh, learning, all of the things we talk about as pediatricians, um, addressing the whole child, I could tell she had something brewing she wanted to ask me. So she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you done? Uh, now, I have something I need to talk to you about. <laughs> and I always appreciate that they trust me. But her concern was that a daycare provider raised the question that her son could potentially be gay because of the way he moved his hands, the way he played with the girls, the toys he chose to play with, uh, the way he said certain things. And this mom was very, very, very confused and very, very concerned. She's in the African-American community. Um, and one of those very traditional African-American communities in an inner city uh, clinic, if you get what, get what I mean. Sure. And so I addressed it. I was a little shocked. I've never had things post me that young. Um, I addressed it as best I thought I could, and she was happy with our discussion. And I just want your expertise as to, for that mom, because we just said it comes up. It usually comes up late because already the child knows don't go there. Um, but for this child and any child who comes out, 
or you as a parent suspects, or you hear rumor, whatever. What should be the real point or the real steps a parent takes to address this with their child? The first thing that the child needs 100% is unconditional love. Absolutely. And so that's the first thing if the mom's going to talk to him about this. It's like, you know, mommy loves you regardless of what you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And that's, that, that's so important because mm-hmm. we look at the health disparities. It's related to the pervasive prejudice. Yes. It's related to the um, overarching assumption that people are straight until otherwise proven. Mm-hmm. And that's the perspective that she's coming from. So, yes, we need to delve into what the daycare said. But the first thing would be always say, just make sure your child gets unconditional love because that's what right. produces quality, high-performing adults that's is unconditional right. love. The next thing is to say, this has nothing to do with sexual orientation, not at age four. Children at age four, it it does not matter. If you were to ask 20 little girls who they'd rather spend time with at age four, 19 of them are going to say they want to spend the time with the girls because that's the mantra of early childhood is to spend time with people that are like you. Right. So the question is more, is this child gender variant? Because sexual orientation, we have just no clue until after puberty. And it's, you know, when you think about talking with a three or four year old, first thing is if you don't have a lot of experience with three and four year olds, you realize that they can have some fairly complex thoughts and, and deep thoughts. But the other thing is they have no filter. They tell you what's on their mind. So my next response would be to the parent, well, have you asked your child, does he feel like a boy or a girl inside? Because if we find out that he does feel like a girl inside, then the first thing that she needs to, to know is that mommy and daddy still love her regardless because even at age four they can tell something's not right here Uh, people are looking at me a little bit differently than other boys Um, but we know there are so many gender benders in this world i mean what can you say it just was not that long ago that the only people that had an earring in the right ear were gay people and now you look around and men are wearing two and three earrings. Right. Men getting their nails done and their hairs done. I mean, it, we even have this term of straight people that like to think about fashion sense, metrosexual, <laughs> which has <laughs> nothing to do. It's just Blurred lines. Uh, entirely Blurred lines. being in sync with your traditional gender right. roles. Right. And that's okay. So that's what I told her. Relax, take, take a deep breath. Uh, don't believe the hype. Uh, You know, and I definitely was not happy with the daycare provider. I felt like she was way out of her lane. Yeah, that was the other thing. That was just so negative, and she dare not put that negative image on her child. Um, And I definitely told her that love was all that mattered. And to, you know, wait things out and watch and wait and just, you know, at a time to talk to the child about it. Uh, but she herself had not seen anything at home, so I don't know who this provide daycare provider was. 
But I definitely told her, just relax. It's, it's going to be okay no matter what. It's going to be okay. Exactly. Now, let's talk about that with a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a parent was, like, informed. Well, you, you, you suspect. You suspect. You have suspected for years. Or you hear a rumor. Or your child comes to you. Hopefully, it's the third. It's the latter. That your child is comfortable enough and trusts you enough. And you have open dialogue enough that they come to you. If that happens, we probably don't even need to have this discussion. Right. Right. But in the event that it's a very upset parent. Right. You know, it's, it's a very interesting discussion at this point because there's two perspectives on this side. The person who's actually coming out to their parents and then the other is the parent's observation of what's going on with their kid. Um, because when you talk with young people who had kept their sexual identity hidden for a long time, when they come out and tell their parents, it's a relief for them. They don't feel bad, even if their parents um, don't necessarily handle the news the best way. It's not a negative feeling on the term of the adolescent because it's so empowering to finally just say who you are and to try to get your parents on your side. Now, when you think about the parents' perspective, they, of course, were raised in our society with all of the homophobia, with this idea that heterosexism, that heterosexual is the desired, other, everything else is different. Um, parents go through mourning. They're mourning the image of the child that they thought that they had. Most parents, when you talk to their children, hope that they're going to be married to the opposite gender, raise a family, not have any pervasive prejudice against them, no extra struggles because this world is hard enough without having these extra struggles. So we do have to recognize and support the parents. Even if we don't agree that the parents should be in mourning, they are. They're mourning the loss of who they thought that they had. Does that stay that way? Not usually. Most parents are able to come around and support their children and to be caring and nurturing. You just have to give them some time as well. But what we try to do is to also counsel the parents as they're struggling through the issue themselves is not to radiate that struggle out for the adolescent. Especially if it's a two-parent family, the parents can have their private discussions and support each other. But to have a uniformed, we love you and accept you um, to their children. And it really is love and acceptance, not just tolerance, but acceptance. It's a very different concept. Because it's not but likely you're going to wonderful, wonderful national organization with many local chapters called Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. PFLAG, so P-F-L-A-G dot org. Wonderful, wonderful resources to help families to understand what's going on, to offer communication strategies, to offer um, coping strategies for families um, as well as um, really getting families to provide support for their gay or, or transgender or lesbian or bisexual child. Right. So it's really a wonderful national organization. It's been around for 
30, 40 years. It's probably the most stable national advocacy organization there is related to adolescents um, relate and coming out to their families. That's awesome. So now how can pediatricians or medical providers assist parents, assist adolescents with this process as well? Yeah. Well, the first thing is pediatricians need to take their own self journey because yes. we have had patients that have been offended by pediatricians. Mm -hmm. If they're offended, it um, totally poisons the way that they perceive the healthcare system. So somebody goes to an emergency room and you know they mention the fact that, that they're gay, uh, maybe they're going to an ER because of an STD or something like that. They get some shade, they say, I'm not going back to the doctor. And it, I mean, we know that that's such an important thing for all adolescents. We know, for example, so many men from the time that they're 18 to the time that they're 40, they don't go to the doctor. Why? Because they had negative experiences in the healthcare system when they were teenagers or they were disrespected as adults, I mean, as adolescents, so they don't um, see the value of going for healthcare. So that's the first thing is we have to get rid of our own biases so that we can be there. I mean, we have children in our practice whose parents decline immunizations. We have parents in our practices where they want these kids on a strict vegan diet. We can work with that. Any, anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't have to agree with what's going on to manage what's going on. Right. But in this case, honestly, I think we all should be getting on page so that we can be there for our sexual minority clients. And the biggest thing that they need to get from the doctor is you're normal. You're okay. I care about you the same way that I did when you were eight. Now that you're 14. Um, I actually had that opportunity not that long ago, a pre-sexual young man, he's 11, um, who recently came out to his parents and said he thinks that he's gay. Uh, mom is fairly traditional Catholic, having a little bit more difficulty with it than dad, but dad actually was raised Southern Baptist. Uh, <laughs> but dad's just a little bit more in sync with what society is doing. So they are, you know, told him, you know, would they rather he be straight? Yes. But do they absolutely accept him or love him for who he is? Right. Yeah. And that's what he needed to hear. And so he's doing well. And we'll continue to support him, be in his life. Right. Absolutely. Um, right. Absolutely. That is wonderful. And then also, you know, the pediatrician or the medical provider can assist with all these different steps and phases. Right. Absolutely. Well. For the for the transgender kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I actually provide transgender therapy now because there's such a gap in the city of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. There's one um, pediatric hormone specialist, a pediatric endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Uh, at um, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Eggleston, Dr. Brianna Patterson. She's doing a great job. Um, but I had one client who somewhere along the process got offended by the Eggleston system and didn't want to go back. And so I just looked and said, you know, I've been talking about this. I've been training other people about transgender. Let's just go ahead and do transgender therapy. So I, yeah, and, and my client is doing well. Good for them and good for you. That's that's yeah. That's good to have have you there. Absolutely. But at the same time, 
I don't know that too many general pediatricians are going to want to do this. So having your toolkit together, having knowledge is, is there a therapist in your community that you can send these young people to, to get gender affirmation? They're not going there to get fixed and to correct their transgender to make them not transgender, not gay. They're going there to get the support that they need. And especially for transgender, you know, it's a really, really big step to actually transition from one gender to the other. Have you fully explored all the aspects of gender before you make the final decision whether you actually want to go through hormonal therapy to change? Right. So obviously... So obviously yes. in um, prior to probably 18, when you're a minor, you need the consent of your parents. But once you move into adulthood, it's all your your choice. But you still need to make sure, like you said, that you're, you're sure about the whole process. I'm sure it's not an easy process. No. Now remember on the counseling side, if we actually want these young people and the young person wants to be in therapy and they don't want their parents to know, if they're an adolescent, that's actually protected. Um, because in a lot of ways, if they have this pervasive feeling that gender is wrong, gender dysphoria is a mental health diagnosis. Gender identity disorder is no longer a mental health diagnosis, but gender dysphoria is. And adolescents can consent for therapy for um, ending mental health challenges without their parents' knowledge or consent, as long as the adolescent's not you know, suicidal, um, for example. So yeah, so sometimes we can get young people into gender affirming therapy even if their parents don't know about it. But that's such a key aspect to, to really help people to understand the whole process, all the dimensions of gender. I mean, we like that to be at least six months before we start any kind of uh, medication for therapy. So really, for transgender care, you need to figure out, is there a gender-affirming therapist in your community? And is there a pediatric endocrinologist in the community that's actually doing this? And are there any specific therapists? Um, you know, are, are these psychiatrists, psychologists? Yeah, it would, it would usually be uh, clinical social workers or um, MFCCs, maternal um, family child. I, MFCC, I don't remember that, but it's another counselor. So, yeah, so licensed um, clinical social workers, but they tend to be more master's level people. I think that's just, that's just our healthcare system. Um, I think psychiatrists and psychologists would like to do psychotherapy, but insurance or Medicaid don't pay them to do that. They pay the psychiatrist to do medication therapy and the psychologist to do the testing. So we definitely have to open that up more and improve the access for this community yes. to get the therapy they need to just yes. make their decisions. All right, yes. so we're moving along and about to wrap it up. This, this message is so important. How can we begin to erase homophobia, the bullying, the vic victimization, the dehumanization, and extend equality and support to the LGBT community or the individuals who identify in this way? The first thing is, I, I, I like the movement in this country against bullying. The American Academy of Pediatrics came out with some evidence-based recommendations about intervening in bullying. So in this situation, it really is nothing different. That schools, organizations, obviously in this care, uh, care of your uh, scenario, a daycare center, needs to be trained and needs to understand that their role is to protect 
the children, regardless of the reason that they're being bullied. Um, and, and that's very, very important. But there's really no difference to that than any other kind of bullying. And what can you say? Children as a culture like to be similar to other children. And it's interesting that as our societies evolved, when you look at skin color, for example, right. children don't trip on different skin colors anymore. Right. But they might trip on if you're not wearing the right kind of pants. Right. Right. If you don't, you know, I mean, you remember when we were teenagers, it was like, I had to have Levi's, you had to have this. <laughs> I, so we know children have this overwhelming desire to be homogenous. Mm-hmm. We understand that, but that doesn't mean that adults should allow right. any right. kind of bullying or anything you else to go teach. on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. One of the most important things maybe um, to uh, resources to make sure that your audience knows about is unfortunately there is a huge rate of depression and suicidality because of the you know, perceived prejudices of LGBT youth specifically. And there's a national project that operates a 24-hour suicide prevention hotline called the Trevor Project. And it's actually just, how I just said it, .org. It's www.thetrevor, T-R-E-V-O-R, um, project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T, .org. And they operate a 24-7 hotline that can really, really help young people. And there are other really good resources uh, for people to understand transgender. There's a wonderful resource um, guide called Transbodies, T-R-A-N-S-B-O-D-I-E-S.org, transbodies.org. Really, really good, high-quality information that could help your listeners, if they're intrigued by this and want to do a little bit more development, the reality is this is going to affect everybody that's a listener, in, especially with your audience. Now, it's just not that long ago that you know the Orlando um, nightclub you know, was was awful, and and so many of those young people, that was the time that their parents found out that they were gay because they had never come out to their parents, but they were in a gay bar and they had been killed. Um, so we know Orlando is still reeling from it. And I think Orlando really is making that progressive journey to understanding more because of what happened in the middle of the community. Uh, right. So uh, you know, I think that these are great resources for people to go on and continue to explore this issue. Talk with your friends. Talk with your neighbors. Um, that's the big thing is this shouldn't be something that is secret this shouldn't be something that families hide um, because like i like to say these children are normal they're just different right and with understanding comes acceptance and love and respect and all the things we all need to have for one another no matter what that's the thing when you look at outcomes when children are well supported, they're loved by their parents. Maybe they went to a high school that had a gay-straight alliance. They go to college in a welcoming atmosphere. You look at how they do. These are people that are not depressed. They're not, um, you know, using substances. They don't have depression. They don't have major psychiatric illness. They're incredibly resilient, incredibly productive adults. Right. And exposure does not beget. Right. You turning into that. 
Right. That's a big myth. Just because I'm accepting of this or I'm a rat have friends, you know, that identify this way, I'm going to start to do it too. I don't think that translates. We all have friends that we think make questionable choices from times. <laughs> and, you know, in this case, it's not a choice. Well, we all have friends that are not entirely in sync with who we are. Does that mean that they're not friends? No. Because, again, we're talking about just one aspect, in this case, maybe two, in terms of gender and sexuality, of the human condition. And there's so much more to people than who they're attracted to or what gender they actually feel like inside. This should really be a minor issue related to all of the other issues that we have going on in our lives and our communities. One last question, and I apologize, we sort of skipped it, and it's so, so, so important, is health disparities for LGBT youth and young adults. So we, yeah. need to, we need to explain that to say the whole need for this conversation, that they need to be identified because this is what they're at increased risk for. So that the issue is there are a lot of young people that maybe they don't fit any kind of overt, overt stereotype, so they're very comfortable in their gender identity, but they're aware of their attraction to the same gender. Um, but they're sitting at the at the table at night, and you know the first thing their parents ask is like, "Oh, did you talk to that girl that you sat next to?" And you know, are you going to go to this dance with a girl? This assumption that young people are supposed to be straight but meanwhile the person that they're talking to knows inside no I don't want to go to a dance with a girl I can dance but it's not going to be thrilling the way it might be if I was straight they may not want to tell their families but the damage continues to be done especially if they hear um, you know homophobic you know anti-gay slurs at the dinner table they start to internalize the fact that they're worthless and that, um, you know, and when you talk about people that have low self-esteem, that's the pathway to mental health, substance abuse, and risky sexuality. I mean, people start having risky sexuality because they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They're not getting the love that they wanted at home. They think that maybe this partner will provide it. Well, this partner didn't want to use any protection, but this partner might actually feel like they care about me. So we're not going to use condoms. And then there's high risk sexuality, especially if it's sexuality that is accompanied by substance abuse that leads to STDs and the huge rate of HIV, um, especially in the African-American gay community. So it's not being gay that leads you to the health disparities. It's the societal reaction um, to being gay or to being a gender variant that leads to the dysfunctions. And that's why it's so important for pediatricians to get with the families and tell the families about this stuff and let the families know that if you don't give your child unconditional support, this is what could happen if you try to tell your child, no, you're not a girl, you're a boy. You have to do it this way. Um, I mean, my transgender client um, has had depression and substance abuse issues because of transphobia from um, her mother when she was very young. And she's still reeling um, from those issues. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's much more difficult to unravel 
once they're um, in that aspect. But now she's in a therapeutic community. We're doing better. She feels better about her body because she's been on hormone therapy now for about four months and things are looking positive. So that doesn't mean that we can't even reverse um, some of these disparities, but she certainly had virtually all of the health disparities that we're talking about. Fortunately, was not HIV positive. Well, we're wrapping it up. I know we went over such a great discussion, such a needed discussion. And I really thank you again, Dr. Levine, uh, for talking about the LGBT community, all of these health issues as related to our young people, our adolescents, our young adults, and a very needed discussion. I really appreciate you um, and, and thank you. And I know that this is going to be very helpful. I appreciate the time, and it's always good to work with somebody that was a former student of mine. Yes, an awesome teacher as well. <laughs> thank you, and to all of the listeners, thank you for listening to Kidding Around. Uh, we'll talk soon, and have a great day. I'm beautiful in my way. You've got me no mistakes. I'm